0: Whether you're contemplating a career change just to get a new, fresh start, or maybe you're one of the many Americans who've had a career change decided for them by a past employer, you'll want to listen to today's show. Sandra Block, a senior associate editor for Kiplinger's Personal Finance, is our guest with 20 years of experience covering personal financial issues. She's recently did research on how people have handled midlife career changes. Welcome, Sandra.
1: Great to be here.
0: Hey, we're really looking forward to today's topic. I don't think a week goes by where I don't sit down with clients where one of the spouses, at least, is not happy at the job, they're not ready to retire, and they're thinking of a career change. I know that's something you've been through, and you've been talking and writing about this quite a bit. Tell our audience a little bit about your circumstance or your situation.
1: I was a daily newspaper reporter for 17 years for USA Today, and then about a year and a half ago, I went to work for Kiplinger. So although it's not a radical change, I went from working for a daily newspaper and daily website to much longer deadlines, longer stories, very different approach to the subject that I was writing about. And I'm 54 years old, and I found the change. Very invigorating. My mother, who was a longtime newspaper editor, went to work for a community college when she was in her 50s. And I was sort of inspired by what she did, that she was willing to try something new at that point in her life.
2: Sandra, then tell us about, from your perspective, with your experience and writing about this topic, if you're pursuing a midlife career change, how do you avoid the stereotypes about older workers?
1: First of all, you have to acknowledge them but not be defeated by them. There's a lot of surveys out there that show that age discrimination is real. You are going to encounter employers who think they can't afford you, who think that you are stuck in your ways and that sort of thing. But it's not, at least some of the career experts I talk to say, it's not as pervasive as some people believe. The one advantage you have as an older worker is that you know a lot of people, and networking is really the key to getting a job at any age, but it's probably more important than ever when you're older because people who know you know what you're like, know your energy, know your willingness to work and try new things. So you really have to take advantage of, and this is kind of old school advice, just take advantage of networking where you sort of ramp it up to the next level is get yourself on LinkedIn, create a LinkedIn profile, use LinkedIn to find out what demands are, what jobs in the field that you're interested in are out there, and what employers who are advertising these jobs are looking for, what kind of skills that they want. So if you don't have those skills, you can get them.
0: We've had a past guest on, Wayne Breitbarth who wrote a book on LinkedIn. And us as middle-aged folks and baby boomers, when it gets to computers, a lot of us feel intimidated or maybe challenged by that. But a lot of us have kids that they're a whiz on that, and we sometimes get intimidated that kids know how to get on the LinkedIn, the Facebook, they can navigate through there. And I know some people make the mistake of thinking that that can't work for them because they don't know the computers. Well, the best thing you can probably do is get your kids to help you with that. I'll tell you, I've talked to so many clients about this and what you talked about on the networking. LinkedIn is probably one of the best tools from a business-to-business standpoint Learning how to use that tool really can put networking on steroids.
1: Yeah, I really agree with that. In the course of writing this story, I had had a LinkedIn profile but hadn't paid that much attention to it. And just as sort of part of my research and just part of my interest, I really started spending a lot of time there. And the way that it works is as you build more contacts, you find more contacts. And it's not like Facebook where you have some qualms about putting personal information. This is purely professional. So you might hesitate about who you want to be your Facebook friends but with LinkedIn anyone that you have had contact with that you've worked with that you've known throughout your professional career you can reach out to and to me a very sort of non-threatening way and create this huge network and it's a great way to connect with people maybe that you worked for a long time ago who know you what I'm finding and what people are telling me is that employers look at LinkedIn when you apply for a job they go there and look and one of the things they look at is see how many connections you have They look and see where you've worked and that sort of thing. So it's really important to have that profile and keep it updated. And I think there are probably ways to use it that I haven't explored, but it really is a very useful tool, and you don't need to be a computer genius to use it.
2: What about just helping people get past that feeling of maybe imposing on other people as far as if you're putting it out there that you're available, people know you and your skills and talents, like you said, take advantage of that. But that's actually a positive way to put it. It's not take advantage of someone. It's taking advantage of the fact that they know your skill set. So you're not a stranger as an applicant. Because today I'm guessing if there's a good job out there, there's lots of people in line.
1: There are lots of people in line, but I think if you have a former colleague or friend who respects you and they recommend you for a job, it makes them look good if you get the job and you succeed. So I think that it's not a totally altruistic thing to help someone get a job. At the same time, I think there's a pay it forward aspect to this and you have to be actively helping other people as well using your connections and your networking to help other people find jobs or make contact with folks who could be helpful to them. So it works in a circle that way. But as I said, I find that LinkedIn is pretty unobtrusive. You're not sending people personal emails all day long asking them for advice. You're reaching out to them in this way and sort of making it known maybe that you are looking for a job and looking for advice and that sort of thing.
0: You know, the last person that we employed, we used LinkedIn. We were looking for a bookkeeper, and I just put it out to my network. I said, hey, we're looking for a bookkeeper. Does anybody have anybody in mind? And got a response right away. It really shortened that putting an ad in the paper and spending weeks and weeks interviewing people. We got a recommendation right away, and we're able to make a decision. And it saved us a ton of time. And knowing that that person came recommended from someone I know and respect made that hiring decision so much easier.
1: That's a really good story. And I think that's how older workers in particular can sort of overcome some of the barriers that are out there. Not just the fact that there are so many people for every job, but that if you come at it cold and an employer has never heard of you, looks and figures out that maybe you're over 50 and might start having some hesitations. I think the fact that you reach them through another way sort of helps you get over those problems.
2: What have you found with your experience, of course, in researching this is people making transitions at midlife, it doesn't necessarily mean that they've changed employers. This is really about career change. Can you cite some examples from your writings as far as people going from one industry to another and kind of how they made that jump?
1: Some people, as he said, might approach a different division within their company. That's, to me, the ideal situation is if you could find something new and interesting without having to leave your employer. But I think that is not always easy to do. More and more, people are just not staying with the same employer their whole lives. There's not that much of incentive to do it anymore since very few people get a pension. But I think what I found in people that I interviewed is very often they had a particular passion or interest that's sort of been out there for years, and they pursued that in their second careers. Teaching was something that came up a lot in people I talked to. I talked to one woman. She's not in the story, but she was so interesting. She had spent a good part of her career as a disability advocate at a big Ivy League school. She went through some personal problems and wanted to change, and she's now working for Boston's Public Transit Commission, and she's still advocating for disabled people. That's still her area, but she's working for an entirely different organization than a university, and that has been a challenge for her, and she's really enjoyed sort of just a different environment that she's in now.
2: That's neat. And like you said, it's really being driven by your passion. It doesn't necessarily have to be the exact same job description. It's just a new opportunity and a fresh new look. And I have to believe that if you finally pursue something that you really enjoy, I mean, we counsel people all the time in their workplace that they're not happy, but they have to work because they need to pay their bills. If you have that opportunity to transition to something that involves your passion, well, that's pretty fulfilling.
1: And you as financial advisors, I'm sure, are very often having to Sort you of gently tell people that they can't really afford to retire at yeah. 60 or 62. And the idea that you can make this career switch at midlife, add some years to your career. Now, to be honest, some of the people that I interviewed, one in particular, a corporate lawyer who's now a tour guide for students, he clearly took a big pay cut when he changed careers. He's 62. So by continuing to work, even at a reduced income, he's going to be able to delay taking Social Security. We all know how valuable that is in terms of increasing your lifetime benefits. So even though he's not making as much money as he was when he was a corporate lawyer, he is making an income. And as a result, his savings and his Social Security can continue to build for the time when he really does stop
2: working. Exactly. And that was a great story. I remember reading that. It was very good. Listen, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about some of those characteristics of successful life career changers tell us a little bit more about what you found in your interview process so please stay tuned
0: just for a moment try to imagine you're dead
2: you think that's hard try this you're dead and you don't have life insurance what would happen to your family's home to your family's finances your family's future now here's a thought to put your mind at ease life insurance takes care of things should anything happen to you death may be hard to imagine but without life insurance, it's simply unthinkable. Welcome back as we continue to discuss with Sandra Block today the topic of off to a fresh start, just kind of midlife career change and all the aspects of that. Sandra is a senior associate editor for Kiplinger's Personal Finance, and you've got more than 20 years of experience covering personal finance issues and an expert in taxes and saving for retirement and student loans and all those things. We appreciate your expertise today related to this particular issue. Would you share with us what are some of the characteristics of successful midlife career changers?
1: Well, I think one thing is that they certainly have to be willing to learn new skills and learn new strategies because willingness to learn some basic computer skills is probably pretty key to embarking on any career, even if it's one that pays less than the job that you have now. Some of the people I interviewed took risks. A lot of older workers are finding that if they want to keep working, they really need to work for themselves. That sort of speaks to the lack of jobs and also their own desire to be independent, to control their own destiny. One couple I interviewed who's really not that much older, they're still in their early 50s and 40s. They wanted to spend more time together, so they bought a franchise called Mosquito Joe. They kill mosquitoes in people's yards, but part of their motivation was that they wanted to sort of control their hours. They wanted to spend more time together. Now, in order to do that, they had to dip into some savings. It's going to be a while before they start making a lot of money, so they took some risks, but they think it's worth it for their marriage, for their life, and just what they see as a better opportunity than their previous jobs offered.
0: I talk to a lot of people, and I think one thing that people need to be aware of, you talk about maybe dipping into savings a little bit or taking a cut in pay, a lot of times people will be extremely unhappy at their current position, but they're afraid to explore, and they a lot of times make the assumption that they can't afford to do it. But this is something you can sit down with a financial planner and go through your cash flow needs, go through your retirement goals, You might have this idea of retirement where you just stop working altogether at age 62 or 65. But if you find a job that you really enjoy, you might continue to do that just for the love of it through retirement. And the fact that you might be earning less money, it might be enough that you don't have to dip in more to your savings in retirement. As you mentioned with this corporate attorney, I think there's a lot of planning opportunities that can be done that might free people from their current position and allow them in their minds to go to that next better thing.
1: That's right. Planning, I think, is key. One of the people I interviewed for this story is a woman who had a very lucrative career as a copywriter for pharmaceutical advertising companies, and she sort of reached an epiphany a few years ago that she wasn't happy with it and decided she wanted to teach in inner-city schools. She went back to school to get her teaching degree, and while she was studying, she continued to work and continued to earn this high salary and save and sort of plan for this time when she knew that she was going to take a cut in income. For her, one of the advantages was that now she's making a lot less money, but she does get better benefits. And as you said, she's in her 50s now. She could conceivably teach another 15 years or so and postpone retirement. So taking a salary cut isn't always a bad thing. What we see so often, some of the people I interviewed had very successful, lucrative careers and had been laid off or bought out because a lot of companies have downsized. And when downsizing comes, oftentimes it's the highly paid executives who are the first to go.
2: Yeah, you know, I've had that certainly happen with my clients. And I will say it's amazing. It depends on how you go into it with what attitude, because change can be for the better. It's really what you make of it. If you go into it thinking, woe is me, and I got to start over, that's not going to probably lead off to good opportunities. So first, of course, a positive attitude using technology today, networking. I just wonder, why do you think maybe, Sandra, so many people are embarking on so-called second acts at this time?
1: I think it just speaks to baby boomers who are constantly reinventing themselves. I think that we have a generation of people who grew up with higher expectations for their jobs than just supporting a family. They expect their work to be fulfilling. And if you reach your 40s, 50s, even early 60s, and it's not, then you start thinking about, well, what am I gonna do for the rest of my life? A second career is one way that people are addressing that. And the second is just the economic reality that we are all going to have to work longer. And if you're gonna work longer, you should at least enjoy yourself while you're doing it.
0: Speaking of the economic reality, we're in a time right now where there's very high unemployment. So where do people go to look for the jobs? Where are they?
1: As I said, one place, I think LinkedIn does offer some pretty good clues as to you can look and see what is out there, what they want. So I would suggest that. And then As we mentioned, networking, professional organizations, volunteering can be a really good entree into, particularly if you have a desire to work in nonprofits or something like that, that can be one way to sort of meet people and try things out. You know, older people, too, may have more flexibility to pursue contract or temporary or freelance work than young people. I'm assuming maybe your kids are already out of college. You don't have as many demands as you did. Maybe you have a little more flexibility, and that's something employers really value.
2: Well, that's a good point, because certainly with the discussion today of benefits and health care, some employers are having to transition people away from full-time employment. We've had a lot of clients that have gone from full-time employment with full-time benefits to consulting, and in some cases, it's quite lucrative, and it might even be with the same employer. It's just restructuring the arrangement, which for most of my clients who have done that successfully will share that it's kind of nice not to have to be on the clock every minute of the day. Now I have time to do my own pursuits, spend time with my grandkids, but I still have an income stream. It's amazing how many people we counsel today that are so-called technically retired or at retirement age, but are still working and actually still contributing to the retirement plans. Because Roth IRAs, things like that, even traditional IRAs, you can still make contributions to. The key is you just have to have that earned income. And it's not that significant today with IRA contribution limits. So just staying active, avoiding drawing from your savings and delaying the social security issue just again further secures that your money will last longer than you.
1: That's right and employers have been really reluctant to hire full-time employees ever since 2008 but they do have work that needs to be done and to the extent that you can offer yourself up as someone who's available for contract for temporary for consulting work that could be the answer to their prayers and a good situation for you, too, because as you said, maybe you don't want to get back on the nine-to-five commute. You want some time to travel. You want more time, but you also want to work some. It could work out really well for both sides.
2: We certainly find when we're counseling people, too, that it's sometimes easy to be comfortable with where you're at because where you want to be is uncertain and uncomfortable as far as, gee, what would that be like to make a change? So from your discussions and interviews, just again, maybe share as we close our topic today, inspire those who might be on the fence as far as exploring that opportunity, that passion that's always driven them, because I think sometimes nothing that's more inspiring is other people who have been through the process, that it's been possible positive for them. So where should somebody start if they're kind of unhappy where they're at and they're contemplating a change?
1: If your change is involving perhaps working for yourself, I would say start doing that while you're still working. Experiment with starting your own business or going after some business while you still have a job. So you sort of have that security and you try that. If you think that you need more skills or there's just a particular area that you're passionate about, I would say look into going back to school. Community colleges are offering a lot of programs geared at older workers looking to change jobs. So sort of one good segue is to start taking some classes. And the additional advantage of that is by taking the classes, you may do some important networking. You may actually meet people who could help you get a job. So I'd say consider furthering your education. Try it out on your own. As I mentioned before, volunteer. If your passion is giving back, there are a lot of really interesting opportunities out there for people who maybe want to do something in the nonprofit sector. You could start out by volunteering, and that may lead to an actual job there too.
2: Yeah, that's definitely another form of personal networking. Now you're dealing with a person face-to-face, and they can see your skills, they can see your passion that drives you. That's certainly great counsel. So, Sandra, we could probably talk for a long time. This is great information for our listeners, especially those who are just kind of on the fence or those that might be forcing a midlife change simply because their employer has made that decision for them. Regardless, you go into this with a positive attitude, know that others have been through it, and certainly know that it's what you make of it. So, Sandra, you've been great today. We appreciate it and look forward to maybe chatting with you in the future.
1: Well, thank you very much for having
0: me. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the Real Wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information would be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button.